Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. How you guys doing? You made it to church today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, can we welcome everybody who's with us online as well? Uh, we're so thankful for you. We are just a couple weeks out from Easter, you guys. I can't believe it. So um, we are doing five Easter gatherings this year, and uh, we're actually doing Easter Saturday for the first time, which according to the tickets, you guys love. Um, apparently, that's a great option. You just sleep in on Easter Sunday morning, you know, have some ham or whatever it is that you eat on Easter day. So anyway, um, I want to encourage you here today, go grab tickets for that. Um, they're not for sale. They're free. Uh, they help us to know how many people are coming to each service. Make sure that we have a seat for you and for your friends and your neighbors. So um, we were reminiscing this week a little bit. Two years ago, uh, we set a goal um, that we would have 6% of the community of Eagle River at one of our Easter or Christmas gatherings, uh, or at least for the, for the weekend. And so um, praise God, on Christmas of 2017, we hit 6%, which is amazing. That's 6% of our city that's in church hearing the gospel, which is amazing. So we love that, um, so, which leaves us to like, well, what's next? So the goal for Easter 2018 is... 7%, that's right. Uh, that is, that's the, that's the goal. So that's what we're going to reach for, is that we'd see 7% of our community here at one of our gatherings, hearing about Jesus, hearing the gospel, and having a chance to take their next step in their faith. And so um, that means for you, I want to encourage you, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, make sure you take a minute and do that um, at work, just as you're hanging out with people, uh, mention an opportunity to come to church and, and grab them tickets uh, for the service that, uh, that they'll be going to with you as well. And so just a great opportunity to reach out to our city. Uh, and then right after Easter, we're launching into a new series that we're calling God Problems. Um, anybody ever had a problem with God? Just raise your hand. Okay. It's funny. Wednesday night, somebody over here was like, yes. So apparently he was having problems with God like right then. Um, we've all had issues with God, issues uh, with our faith. And so we're going to spend four weeks being really honest about some things that typically get talked about behind closed doors. Uh, we're going to talk about them publicly, some issues that we've maybe had uh, with the church, issues that you've had with the authority of Scripture, 
um, issues that you've had with the problem of pain in the world. Uh, these kinds of topics we're going to talk about in the church. And so I need your help because we have some topics that we'd like to discuss, but there's probably some other questions and things that you've dealt with that we haven't even thought of. And so I could use your help with what we're going to talk about for this series. And so we're going to put a number on the screen behind me. And I just encourage you for the next few weeks, you can do this anytime, uh, text into this number what your God problem has been. Uh, whatever it has been that's been sort of a barrier between you following God or, or trusting, uh, trusting the church or whatever it may be, if you've had a question or had an issue with your faith that you'd like to kind of hear discussed and hashed out a little bit from the front, we would love to get those. It's totally anonymous, so we're not going to be reading your name from the front. We don't know who you are when you text in, uh, but we're just going to take the questions, compile them into categories, and then try to do our best to, to talk about as many of these issues as possible. So it's going to be a great series um, for your friends who maybe are unchurched or uh, de-churched people to have honest conversation in the church about the things that maybe they are currently seeing as barriers from following Jesus. So we're really excited about that. Um, we are in a series of conversations here uh, that we're calling Fooled. And the whole idea behind this series has been that this year, Easter lands on April Fool's Day, uh, which is a little ironic because a lot of people think that it's, it's a foolish thing to believe that Jesus is actually resurrected. Like, why would anybody believe that? And so we're spending five weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the longest section in scripture dedicated to a defense of the resurrection. And, and this is written by a man named Paul to the, the first century church to encourage them to remember what they believe, that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. And he's really trying to help people see that that simple belief, that one belief, changes everything. It's really the, the hinging point by which all of our other beliefs as Christians are held. So if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, nothing else really matters in terms of your Christianity or your faith. But when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, it results in a resurrected life. And that's who we want to be as Christians. And so um, we're moving on in that. We're in chapter 15, verse 35. And so would you stand up with me and let's stand in honor of God's word as I read this for you. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, so uh, stretch your legs, get a little comfortable here for a second. But I'm just going to read this text and we'll get into the conversation here today. It says this in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam will, uh, became a, a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. It's a lot of text. We're going to get to it. Let's pray, though. Jesus, thank you for your word to us. And God, I pray for just a few moments we could be fully present here, that we could hear your voice and believe that these scriptures are um, inspired and ready to speak to us here today. We pray that your spirit would be here. Um, allow us to uh, receive what you have for us. Humble us. Pray that any hardness in our hearts would be softened, uh, softened by you, softened by your heart for us and your love for us. We pray we'd sense that we have a loving Father that cares deeply for us as his children. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, almost got in three car wrecks on Thursday. It's awesome. Great way to end my week. Um, So, anybody in this room sort of known by their family to be a little bit cheap? Anybody get called? They get called thrifty, right? You're just thrifty. Well, so I'm sort of cheap in certain areas, right? And this is most cheap people are just cheap in certain things they don't like to spend money on. And so for me this year, coming into uh, the, the, the summer last year, I didn't want to change out my tires. I had studded tires on my car. And so I did the classic cheap Alaska thing. I just got a can of WD-40 and a screwdriver and popped out all the studs in my tires and just ran them all summer long. And then winter hit, and guess who didn't want to buy studded tires, right? So I've been slipping and sliding all over Alaska for the entire winter. And then this, this week, everything just kind of started melting and getting nasty. I almost hit three people in a day. And uh, so I need to get some new tires. But over the years, we've had a few fender benders as a family. A few years ago, we actually uh, had, a, had a fender bender with our Tahoe. And so I had to take it in and get, get some work done to it, get the fender repainted and redone. And, and uh, I found a local body shop. And, and for me, I'm a car guy. And so when I take a car into a, an auto body shop... I'm there to like interview the guy behind the counter. I mean, like I'm interviewing this guy like you would interview a surgeon doing heart surgery on your firstborn. Like that's that's what I'm doing. Like who is this person? Are these guys legit? How clean is the shop floor? What do the cars look like that are coming out of this place? And so I like, I go up to the counter and I'm like, hey, so we got a car, needs some work. And here's my question for you. I, I said, once the repair is done, will it look as good as new? Was my question. And it's funny, he was almost like he was ready for it, and he like leaned in, and he goes, sir, a good body man knows that the proper body repair doesn't make a car look good as new, it makes it look better than new, right? And I was like, right answer, here's the keys, right? And he did a great job, it's good. So if you need a good body guy, I know who to go to, but I want to talk today about this idea of being better than new. And in this passage, Paul is dealing with a question in the church about our resurrected bodies. And this is an interesting question. Hey, what kind of, what's this really going to look like? What kind of body am I going to have in eternity? And I don't know if this is something you've ever uh, discussed or wrestled with, but I actually had somebody this week come in and ask this question. Like, hey, what, what if somebody is burned to death and there's, there's nothing left, right? Um, you, you know, what if, what if somebody gets sucked into a wood chipper, right? And there's just parts and pieces or, you know, they, they fall off a fishing boat and they get eaten by a shark. Like, there's, there's nothing left. Like, what kind of resurrected body does that kind of person get? And in the culture Paul is, is dealing with, this, this Greek culture, they, they have sort of a, a very practical and linear uh, way of seeing resurrection. So they felt like a bodily resurrection was not possible. And we, we as Christians, we believe that there's not just a, a spiritual resu- resurrection, but also a, a bodily resurrection. That the day that we go before God and that God reestablishes his kingdom on earth like it is in heaven, we're actually going to have these, these, these perfected bodies. 
And so they couldn't get their heads wrapped around it. And here was their logic. Is they kind of, they were like, okay, so man comes from dust, right? We come from dust, we live, we die, we go into the ground, and we become dust again, right? Dust to dust. And then they plant seeds in the ground. These seeds would grow up out of the ground. Then you eat the seeds. And so they kind of felt like as we eat the seed, or, or they eat whatever is produced from the seeds from the ground, we're actually kind of eating grandpa, right? Or eating great-grandma, or eating the people that came before us. And, and so we're sort of like consuming particles of those who came before us. And so when we become resurrected bodily, what does that body look like? We're kind of parts and pieces of a lot of different bodies. So this is kind of an, inter- you're like, I've never argued about that. I have no idea. But this is something that they were kind of wrestling around with, uh, is what kind of resurrected body are we going to have? And, and the point that Paul wants to make is that God is not constrained by the parts and pieces, you know? Like you get sucked through a wood chipper. He doesn't like get a bucket of you and he's like, I don't know what to do with this, right? How do I reassemble this? It's kind of gross at church, I get it. But like, this is kind of the kind of thing they're trying to deal with is like, God is not restrained by the parts and pieces that are like left over after you're dead. And so my, my first point, the first thing I want, want you to consider today is that God isn't about reconstruction, but resurrection. He's not about reconstructing things, but resurrecting things. And we actually see this on, on a macro and a micro level. We see this in our our own lives, that as Christians, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, the way we talk about it is it's not like you just get healed. You don't just get a little bit better. We, We actually have a symbol that we use for this. We call it baptism. And baptism is all about you going under the water and like, it's like you died. It's like the old you is gone. And then when you come up out of the water, it's like a new you is born, a completely different version of yourself. So he's not just going to reconstruct you. God isn't here just to kind of, you know, make your marriage a little bit better or, or make you feel a little bit better about yourself or make you a little bit more generous. Like God is here to give you a completely new way of life. And so that's, that's a micro level, level, but on a macro level, on a global scale, when Jesus returns to the world, what we read is that he's going to establish this new kingdom and this, this new heaven and this new earth. So 2 Peter chapter 3 says this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we're not waiting on a fixed earth. We're waiting on a new heaven and a new earth. And see, God never teaches, and the Bible never teaches, that God wants to kind of fix and reconstruct the pieces of your life. No, he wants to resurrect you into something that's better than new. Better than new. Not just a a repaired version of you. And so, as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking, well, that's pretty invasive, right? Like, like that's, that's pretty intense. Like, God wants to do this deep, deep work in our lives and in the world. He's not simply going to kind of fix the broken pieces of the world. No, it's going to be completely new, like, like better than new, this whole brand new thing. And so this is important to wrestle with because I think that some of us don't realize how invasive God wants to be. So when I woke up this morning, um, any iPhone people in the room? 
I, I woke up this morning and I had three iPhone updates on my phone. Three iPhone updates, which I always have and I always click later, right? Because I, who, nobody got time for that, right? So later, every day, later, later. But specifically, I had three updates I want to read for you. These are just updates I had on my phone. The first was from eBay to fix an issue where some items could not be removed from my watch list. So that's helpful. Thank you, eBay. A red box has refreshed its look, attitude, and functionality for a faster and smarter red box experience. Thank you, Redbox. That's nice. Even the Bible had an update. This is great. Um, the Bible's app's update was bug fixes and improved performance. So maybe that's why you don't read your Bible. You need the update, right? You have uh, performance in your biblical literacy if you just get your app update. So it's interesting. Being a Christian, I think a lot of people see it as sort of like an app update. Like, this is good. Like, God wants to, wants to update some apps, fix some bugs, you know, help me to, to become a, a better version of myself. But what we're going to read in this text is this idea that, that, that God doesn't want to simply give you like an app update. He wants to give you a completely different operating system, like a whole new way of seeing the world and operating in the world that is not even compatible with your old operating system. And when Christians live this out, when we actually uh, absorb that and, and live it out, that your new operating system is, is a, actually a foreshadowing of what's to come for the world. It's going to show the world around you like this is what's to come. This is the vision for the future. That God's not just going to reconstruct things. He's actually going to resurrect them. In fact, I can see this in the life of these Christians, right? So, so when people see ACF Church, they should catch a vision for resurrection, not reconstruction. And, and what's that going to look like? It's going to look like when somebody sees you or sees me, as we develop in Christ, and especially as we come into a relationship with God, what they should start to say is, I don't even recognize that person. I mean, has anybody ever said that about you? And, and like, man, they started, he started following Jesus, and, and man, he has like a, a whole new way of seeing the world, like a completely different way of operating. In fact, it's just confusing, because it doesn't even make sense to me, apart from Jesus, why this person with Jesus would operate this way. And so this is the kind of thing, these are the implications of this idea that we are to be resurrected, not just in eternity, but right here and right now. That God wants to be that invasive in our lives. And that truly is what it means to become a disciple. And this is good news. It's good news that God wants to resurrect our hearts, not just reconstruct our hearts, because that kind of invasive work that God wants to do can result in, in things that we never thought were possible. Like, you're going to begin to be able to, to forgive things that a few years ago you thought were unforgivable. And, and you're going to begin to serve and, and love people in ways that you thought you could never serve and love them. And you're going to become generous and giving in ways that you never could have been generous and giving before. So this is like a whole new operating system that God wants to give those who are in Christ Jesus through the work of the Spirit of God within us. So... So that's, that's the truth. And then for me, what, what comes up is this question, well, what does it mean if I'm not operating that way? What does it mean if, if you're here and you're like, well, Brian, I'm a Christian, but nobody's ever said, man, I don't recognize who you are. In fact, they're like, I don't think anything's different at all, right? Like, what does it mean if we're not operating in this completely new operating system? I mean, it may mean that you've settled for app updates, it may mean that your vision for a life in Christ has been God wants to kind of fix my problems instead of resurrecting me to a whole new person. 
And so it's interesting, as you chose to follow Jesus, whenever you did that, if you're a Christian here today, um, you probably didn't know what you were getting yourself into, did you? It's kind of like marriage, right? Married people? Who, who knew what you were getting yourself into when you got married? None of you. You had no idea. I didn't. I had no idea, you know? And the day that you say I do, you have like this much experience. You have what you've seen in other couples and the little bit that you've got with this person, but you have no idea what married life's actually going to take to make this successful. And we're called the bride of Christ, and it's like a marriage relationship. And when you get married to Christ, you got no idea what you are getting yourself into. And it's amazing. But you're going to be surprised as the years go on. And as Jesus did his ministry, there was a progression that we see in the way that he communicated with his disciples. In fact, early on, when he calls to his disciples and he says, hey, come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Like, they're going, that sounds good, right? I don't know if they, they didn't have in their minds like this man's going to be crucified and we're going to be, we're going to begin the, the, the first century church and we're going to be this movement of people that's ultimately going to be martyred for our belief. Like, <laughs> they'd be like, I'm going to stay fishing, right? They had no idea what they were going to get themselves into. In fact, we see in, in John chapter one, there's this interesting moment where John and two other disciples see Jesus and they say, hey, rabbi, where are you staying? Like, where are you sleeping? And Jesus responds with these words. He says, come and see. And I love how Jesus was, he was a master at just inviting people into his life, at just saying, hey, come walk with me and journey with me and, and learn from me. This is something I think, I think Christians should be amazing at. We should be really good at going, man, hey, just come be part of my life. Come over for dinner, come work on the car in the garage with me, spend some time with me, you know, learning new things, go camping with us, with our family, inviting people into our world. And that, that's what Jesus did. So the disciples starting off, they're just like, oh, we're following this rabbi. He's a great teacher. Um, we're learning from him. This is a great opportunity. But they didn't know what they were getting themselves into, did they? They had no idea. And we as a church, we create come and see moments all the time. In fact, what we were doing right here, right now, this is partially a come and see moment. Do you know that? Like, like you might be here just to come and see. Somebody invited you to ACF Church, and you're like, oh, I guess I'll, people say this all the time. I guess I'll go check it out. So you're checking out the church, you're here to come and see, which if that's you, that's awesome. So Jesus created these come and see moments, we create come and see moments. You're here going like, are these people legit? What do I think about the guy up front? Are they all hypocrites? Are they actually reading the Bible? Does the Bible even matter? Is anybody worshiping? Like you're looking around, coming and seeing. And we as the church, we create come and see moments for our community. Like when we, we planned fireworks for the city of Eagle River on uh, New Year's Eve. And that was just like a chance to, to show people what it looks like when the church is serving. In a small, fun way, we just, we love to throw parties as a church. And so this summer, we're going to be doing block parties in neighborhoods throughout the city. And you guys are going to be using a bunch of gear that we have to throw neighborhood block parties. And we're going we're gonna to have come and see moments. Like, come and see what it's like when neighbors are in community with each other. When we actually know our kid, each other's kids' names, we know, you know the, the things to be praying for for each other, we know what's going well, what's not going well in each other's lives, come and see community. And that's what these moments are all about. So we create come and see moments as a church. But here's what I want you to know, is that people who remain at come and see end up disillusioned with the church. If you hang out at come and see for too long, you're going to end up disillusioned with the church. At some point, you're going to be like, what are we doing anyway? Like, why am I here? Why, why did I wake up on Sunday morning? I could be sleeping. I could be camping. I could be skiing. I could be doing a lot of things. Why am I going to church? Why am I part of the church? 
Why do I go to this group? Why do we even talk about God? Like, and I want to tell you, like, there's a lot of reasons that people become disillusioned with the church, and we're going to talk about those in our next series. But one of the major reasons that people become disillusioned with the church is because they have not moved from come and see. And if you remain at come and see, you're going to become disillusioned with the church. So I just... It's like car illustration morning. So I'm a, I'm a mechanic, and I just love working on stuff. And uh, one of the things I love to do is I love recording these shows, these, like, tech shows on Discovery Channel. I don't know if you know this, but there's all of these, these, these shows now of, like, car tech. And, and you can watch somebody put in a motor on a car, and they tell you how to do it and, and how to, you know, build this really cool truck and, and how to design a hot rod. And you can watch all these shows. So I record these things, and I watch them on Saturday morning. And this happens all the time. My kids will be in bed. I'll wake up early, go downstairs, and I'll sit down to watch. I've got like eight episodes recorded, right? The whole morning is nothing but car tech. This is my life. So, um, so I sit down, and I'll watch, I'll watch like 30 minutes of a show. And I'll go get some like, you know, breakfast and come back to sit down. About halfway through the second show, this will happen all the time, I'll get this feeling like I'm a complete loser, this will happen all the time. Like, this, it'll just overwhelm me. I'm watching this, these people on the show do these amazing things, and I'm sitting here, like, eating Doritos for breakfast, right? <laughs> and I'll go, what am I doing, right? Why am I watching this guy do really cool stuff, and I'm sitting here on the couch eating Doritos? And at, in that moment, I'll do one of two things. I'll either change the channel so I don't have to feel like a loser, or I'll go to the garage and build something cool. Like, it'll be one of those things. This happens all the time. And it just dawned on me this, this week as I was thinking about this, this is kind of what happens when people remain at come and see. Is there's this weird discomfort and disillusionment that starts to happen when all we're doing is watching other people do really cool stuff. And over time, you start to go, what am I doing here? Like why? You'll either change the channel or you'll lean in and you'll do something amazing. And that's, as you see people who are Christians or you see people in ACF church that are just fired up, and you're like, man, they are, they are fired up about being here. They are serving their guts out. They are, they, are, they are loving God with all their heart. What you're going to find is that these people have moved from come and see to come and die. And this is the movement of the disciples in Jesus' life. So he starts off with like, hey, come and see. It's totally great. And I want you to know if you're here today to come and see, I love it. Love that you're here to come and see. But if you stay there for too long, you're going to become disillusioned because later in Jesus' ministry, he says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So apparently there's something else that must be done. Apparently being a disciple of Jesus isn't simply following him around. Like there's something else that's got to happen. Jesus says, yeah, it's death. It's to have your own little crucifixion. It's like your own little death that's going to happen in your life. So the people that move from come and see to come and die, I believe they experience resurrection through the body of Christ. The reason that you're not seeing resurrection in your life may be because you have not came and died yet. You have not come to Jesus and said, I am ready to give of my entire heart. And so Jesus is not resurrecting your life. You guys need to know this. Jesus can't resurrect what you won't release to him. He's not going to resurrect the things that you're not willing to put to death and say, listen, I'm, I'm going to baptize my entire life, not just part of my life. I'm not here for an app update. I'm not here just to get a little better. I'm here to, to become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And true disciples of Jesus have a much harder time becoming disillusioned with church 
and with other Christians because they're so busy pouring their guts out for Jesus and for their faith. So Paul is dealing with this question, what kind of resurrected body am I going to have? And these people probably aren't asking this question for the right reasons. They're probably not actually wanting answers. They're probably trying to trap Paul into a, into a theological problem. And they probably aren't trying to figure out, how can, I, how can I actually give up my entire life for this? They're looking for excuses, right? Which we do this all the time. And so Paul responds to their questions. Verse 36, he says, you foolish person. Which when you read that, you're like, that is the least pastoral thing that I've ever heard, right? Like, you know, if, if I said that, you came up, you know, what kind of body am I going to have? I'm like, you're you foolish person. Be like, you should be fired, right? But Paul, at first, when he says this, I'm thinking, is he having a bad day? You know, what's, is Paul just kind of hangry this morning? Needs to get some food? What's going on with Paul? But he says this, he says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind of seed its own body. So Paul starts to use this like agricultural illustration of what resurrection actually looks like. And he's kind of being harsh with them because he knows they're not actually looking to find out what it means to follow Jesus. Like they're not ready for it. They don't really want to hear the answer. And so he uses something that they're familiar with, which are seeds. Did you get a seed when you came in today? A few of you? Did you just throw it in the trash? You're like, what is this? They're giving me their junk. Pull out your seed. If you got a seed, pull it out. You probably got one of those. Might be in, the, in your pocket somewhere or on the floor around you. Just take the one from the person next to you. That's fine. Um, pull out your seed. So I want you to look at that seed and, and just consider, like, it's, it's kind of worthless, right? I mean, there's not much to it. That's probably why you lost it or threw it away or whatever. Like, you're like, why did you give me this? I don't think this matters. But, you know, now, now, now you see it does matter. So a seed in and of itself isn't much. You know, it's just this little thing. And it doesn't do anything. In fact, if you just throw it in the trash, it'll just sit in the trash. It'll be gone. It's just turned to dust at some point. And Paul is using this illustration of the seed to help people see that this is what resurrection is actually like in the life of a believer. It is like when a seed is put into the ground and pulled out of the ground, there's something else that comes out of the ground. In fact, do we have this clip? Can we show this clip? Here's what it looks like when a seed does its thing. It's kind of creepy at first, actually. This looks, it's like it's alive, you know, but it is. And it grows up out of the ground and it took science. Yeah, I know it's, I know what's up. It's alive. So... What you're seeing here is that seeds produce more seeds, but they also produce something else, right? I mean, it's, this is so much more beautiful than what went into the ground, isn't it? I mean, a seed is really unimpressive. There's not much to it. But then when it comes up out of the ground, it, it, it creates something amazing, something beautiful, something completely different than what it was. You can shut that off. You guys will be distracted for the rest of the message. This is what Paul is talking about when he starts talking about seeds and things dying and going into the ground. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In other words, until you give up what it is that you're holding on to, Jesus will not be able to resurrect it to something new. So first it has to be placed in the ground, and that's kind of an imagery for death. It's got to die before it can be resurrected. The point is that your resurrected body is something inf infinitely better than just a new version of yourself. Just like the resurrected you in the world today 
should be infinitely better and different than just a new version of the old you. Side note, if you think about how Jesus, when he came back after resurrection, he kept showing up to people and they didn't even recognize him. Remember that? It's like walking down the road with his disciples. They don't even know who he is. There's something about this resurrected body that wasn't like, oh, Jesus is walking around and he's not bleeding anymore. That's cool. Like they didn't even know who he was, their best friend. They didn't even recognize him. Paul keeps going. Verse 42, he says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. What Paul is saying is that we don't maybe realize this, but we as people are perishable, dishonorable, and weak apart from the grace of God. What we sow, what we put in the ground is really worthless on our own, on our own means. And he's like, hey, what's sown is, is perishable. What's raised is, and what we put in the ground is just, it's, it's nothing. But what God pulls up out of the ground in our lives is something amazing and beautiful and completely different than just the parts and pieces that we were able to bring to the table. God is not restricted by what we do or what we bring to the table. He creates new things out of dust. And that's, that's amazing. That's the God that we worship. What is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. We don't have the power or the strength to do the kind of work that God wants to do in our lives. But when we give it up, when we plant it in the ground, God then resurrects it and does the work that we can't do. And, and some of you have, have started catching a vision for this. You start seeing that the, the resurrected life that God wants for us is so much better. And so you've, you've started giving up things to God and releasing things, essentially putting them in the ground to die so that God can then resurrect those things. Others of you have gone through some hard things in life, or maybe you've got some medical issues, or maybe you're just getting a little older, and so you're looking towards eternity, and you're thinking about this, this resurrected life that's to come, a vision for what God's going to have in eternity, and so you're starting to, to shape your life around what's to come, around the future for your existence, and you start to align your priorities and your time and your energy around this kingdom that God promises us, this whole new, new heaven and new earth. And in fact, I, I've just seen people over the years catch this vision of, I don't know if you guys know this, but February 21st, uh, Billy Graham passed away. Did you guys know that? Um, what a legacy, right? 99 years old, this man. Just a, a pillar of faith over the years, sharing the gospel with literally millions and millions of people. And this man, towards the end of his life, um, I, I think he understood this vision. In fact, when he died, there was a quote that went viral all over the internet. And I want to just read it. He says this. He says, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. At 99, do you think he believed that? I think he believed it. I think he got it. And, and this is the, the, the journey that we're on, is trying to believe this in a deeper way. Once again, it's so easy to say Jesus is risen, but it's so much harder to align that with our life and our reality. And we just, we tend to settle for little app updates, little changes in our lives. Like God's just here to kind of fix me. He's kind of here to give me a little bit of better life. No, he wants to change you. Not into simply a, a new version of your old self, but something completely different to the point that people won't even recognize you. This is how invasive God wants to be. 
This is how much change God wants to make in our lives. But it's hard, right? I mean, this is hard. Because honestly, the life that you want probably comes from the death that you don't. The person you want to become probably comes from giving up things that you don't want to give up. The, the, the life that we want to have, the, 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 the influence and the purpose that we want to have in this world probably comes from putting some things to death, from giving things, things to God that we're not ready to give to him. And so we're caught in this weird in-between. Oh, no, it sounds beautiful. It sounds great. No, I believe that God wants to resurrect my life. I don't want to die. It's the most natural human response, right, is to just protect ourselves and to not trust when really the best thing for us to do is to give things to Jesus. So some of you know my story a little bit. Um, uh, I used to lead worship here at ACF Church. I'm actually kind of new to this whole teaching thing. Um, in fact, some of you are like, you play music? But it was actually a big passion of mine and still is, um, although I don't get to lead up here anymore. But I started playing guitar uh, really young. And it was really my, my passion was music. Some of you are just, you, you love music as well. And um, you know that it's a discipline. It takes hours and hours of work. Um, but for me as a kid, a uh, military kid, growing and moving around from place to place, music was my identity. It was how um, I got people to like me. And I realized really young that if you can do something cool like that, people will spend time with you and they'll be your friend, right? So music was a, a way of identity. It was a way of gaining friendship. It was really who I was. And so I go to church one day and... Um, I was at Sunday school, and they had this guest speaker come to Sunday school, and this man um, had just gotten out of prison, and he was going from church to church telling his story, and he'd done some pretty terrible things and had uh, a pretty dark past, and he started talking about the influence in his life and the things he'd let into his mind, and one of those things was music, and he's like, I love music, but he's like, these bands and these songs were getting in my head and, and messing with my perspective on the world, and he listed all my favorite bands and all my favorite songs. So I'm just, I'm 13 years old, right? I'm sitting in the back of the Sunday school class listening to this guy, and I am angry. Like, he's stepping all over my toes. He's stepping all over who I am as a person. And I went home that day, and I was, I was so young, but for the first time in my life, I had this wrestling match with God. And I had this conversation, like, like God, I'm I feel like I'm a, I'm a good person. Like, I do this stuff, and I try to, you know, try to listen to my parents, and Try to be helpful around the house. And God's like, I want your music. And so I just made this commitment to God that I would give up music. So I spent a year, um, put my guitar in a case. I didn't open it, open it up for, uh, for a complete year. Didn't listen to music for an entire year. And just kind of like put it aside. And after a year, I started having these opportunities to play in some bands and um, to play on worship teams and, and to play, uh, lead worship at some, some different camps and things. And so I watched God resurrect something in my life and use it for something amazing. And then I found myself leading worship, you know, at, at ACF Church years later. So I had no idea what was to come, but it took death for there to be resurrection. And this is Paul's point. He's like, the things that you don't want to put to death are the things that God wants to resurrect. Like whatever that one thing is, whatever it is, and you know what it is today, that's the one thing that God wants and as you give it up, you actually create an opportunity for him to resurrect that thing in your life. Uh, there's a man that Jesus ran into one day who had a similar um, struggle. And this is in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. He says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So he wants him to know that 
Jesus is God, God in the flesh. Verse 20, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, app update. Do not steal, app update. Do not bear false witness, app update. Honor your father and mother, app update. And he said, all these I've kept for my youth. I did all the app updates, Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad and he was extremely rich. You see, this man was stuck at come and see. This man had done all the app updates, was a pretty decent human being. In fact, probably people in his life would have said, hey, you're a great, you're a great uh, Christ follower, you know? Like, no, no, don't feel, feel bad about yourself. You're doing really good. And Jesus is like, I know your heart. I know that your heart isn't tied to these things, and so they're easy to give up. Like for me, I can say this. I've never murdered anybody, right? I've never physically murdered anybody, but I haven't really had that urge before. Some of you are like, that's hard for me, right? I have three kids, so (laughs) struggle not murdering people. But I just, you know, I haven't had that issue. And so I can honestly say I've never done that. This man had all these things he'd given up, but the one thing he didn't want to give up was his money, right? That was his, his one thing. So this man had come and seen a lot, probably heard some inspirational messages over the years. Uh, done some good things in his life, but had not given yet up what Jesus wanted in his life. For you, it might be something completely different. Like there's something in your world, probably, you know what it is that Jesus is saying, hey, this is it. This is how you move from come and see to come and die, is through this one thing. For me, it was music. Music was, this moment in my life was a transitionary moment in my faith, where I moved from being disillusioned with the church to radically loving the church. And, and that's the next move, as you go from being disillusioned with the church to sacrificially loving the church when you're willing to give up the things that Jesus wants from you. And that, that's, that's just how it goes. And, and this is really Paul's point. He wants us to see how different the resurrected life is and what it wants to accomplish in our world. We've been closing out each week with this. This is Romans 10, chapter 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I want you to just consider if you're really willing, willing and ready to say that Jesus is Lord. Um, not that he's just a good teacher, not that he's inspiring, not that he helps fix a few things in your life, but that you, he's actually Lord of your life because Jesus says that that's what it means to become a disciple is to follow in the ways of Jesus. Jesus was crucified. Many of you, when it came to following Jesus, the day that you made that decision, didn't think crucifixion. You just thought, I just don't want to go to hell, and I think eternity with God sounds better than that. But then you got into it, started walking the road, and now you've realized, no, this is, this is everything. This is giving up everything. But I just want you to know that is where resurrection comes from. Being willing to let go and give up but it means to say today that Jesus is Lord of your life. So I wonder for you if you'd be willing to let go of that thing today. I wonder if maybe even today could be the day of salvation. I'm convinced we don't know what this young ruler did after this. I hope that he had a change of heart. I hope that he had a change of heart, but I'm convinced at this point what Jesus is saying is that you've done a lot of good things, but you are not my disciple. Like, you look really good on the outside, but you are rotten on the inside because you are not willing to give this up. It's like, sell everything that you own 
Now, that's not prescribed. We don't have to sell everything we own, but maybe Jesus is calling you to do that. Maybe he's calling you to give up something in a radical way that's going to tear it out of your heart so that he can be put into your heart. And that truly, I, I think, for many people is the moment of salvation. Not necessarily when you raised your hand at some church or some camp service, you know, but the moment that you are willing up to give up the, the one thing, the one thing that you've never been willing to give up to him. I think for many people, that is the moment of salvation. So would you bow your heads with me today? And let's just take this as an opportunity to ask God, what is it? God, what is it that you want from us? What would you say to us on the road today? What is the thing that we cling to, that we hold on to, that gives us security and safety? And what are the things that we have done that have convinced us that we are one of your disciples when really they're just app updates? We've just changed our behavior, but we've not changed our hearts. Jesus, would you give us the strength that we don't have to let things go? Would you inspire us by your spirit with a vision for something so much better in resurrection that it would be so worth it in our hearts and our minds that we'd be able to radically release everything in our lives so that we might see resurrection. And Jesus, thank you so much that you don't stand at a distance demanding this from us, doing nothing, but you actually showed us what it looks like to experience death because of love. So God, might we love you in just a, a small way. Most of us will never become face-to-face with martyrdom, having to give our physical lives for our faith. But we are face-to-face with the decision whether we will give our hearts today. Uh, Jesus, you, you demand our entire hearts. And at the same time, God, you show us through love what it looks like to walk in freedom and in grace. So I pray that we might receive that today, step from death into life, from app updates into a completely new operating system from a a seed into a beautiful creation, God, that you want to make us into. And I pray in the next few moments as we worship, let us release some things, uh, release our pride. God, release our our, our self-sufficiency to trust God that all we really need is you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.